0: Let's dive into today's topic. Hey, Brandon here, and welcome back for another episode. It's good to be with you. On this episode, I have another discussion with James Sudikow. He has been on the podcast a couple different times, and I really enjoy having him on the podcast. And in this episode, he discusses work-life balance. And we've never really... We touched on it on the podcast, but we've never really had an episode dedicated solely to it. And I think he has a unique perspective. He's a business owner. He runs a consulting practice. He's an author and a speaker. And he, he just... He works a lot. and But he's also got a, a big family and a lot of other obligations on his personal life. So he really... He, talks about what he's gone through in the last couple years, where he felt like his his life was imbalanced, he was working a lot, and just prioritizing was, was challenging for him. And I, I think you're going to relate to what he has to say. I think a lot of people will relate. I know I personally do. And so I, I basically had a discussion with him on this topic. He's out with a new book called Out of the Blur, A Delirious Dad's Search for the Holy Grail of Work-Life Balance. And it's out this month. It's September 2018. This is a brand new book. The discussion is all about this book. And uh, one thing I'll note is that, yes, it, it does have a dad's perspective, but what's in this book is more just a, a point of view. But the framework is good for anybody, mothers, fathers, people who don't have kids at all or a family at all, really just who might struggle with the work-life balance. So I think you're going to be able to take away something from this book and from this conversation. So enjoy. And please, if you enjoy this episode, we need more Apple podcast reviews. Please go give us a review. And if you give us a five-star review, you screenshot it, email it to me for the first five people that provide a review. I will send you a copy of James Sudikow's new book. Enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. James, it's so awesome to have you back on the podcast.
1: Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me, man.
0: In the time that we last talked, you were busy writing another book. What yeah. was going on in your in your life to end up writing an entire book about work-life balance
1: uh, in, in two words, uh, too much,
0: <laughs> too much was going on in my life.
1: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it just, uh, I, I finally kind of hit this wall where I guess whatever I was trying to do in the name of work life balance, just, it just wasn't working. And so I, I finally just sat down and tried to do something different And that. And what caused it was, you know, I've got, we have kids running around. We got, I, I run my own business. Um, I do a lot of writing. And so it was just so many things and I didn't want to be absentee in any of them, but I found that, it just wasn't working, <laughs> so I had to figure out a different way to, to go about it.
0: At the beginning of the book, you you mentioned briefly about your dad and how you sort of watched him, and he'd get up on the clock at like four thirty in the morning. He would yeah. work an entire day, but he'd seem seemingly like be available for the family. He'd you know attend if it was sports events or activities, and then he would probably stay up late, and then he. You know, till midnight and then get up and do it all over again and you never seem to burn out. Did you ever look at yeah. that as a model for like maybe that was like he, he did something right and and you wanted to capture that or what was you know what sort of influence did that have on you when you wrote this book?
1: Well it's interesting because I do start off talking about my dad because I my dad was one, one of my you know hugest role models and I thought he did so many things right um, and this is obviously a book about work-life balance written from a dad's perspective right so yeah. of course I started thinking about my dad You know, I think I was oblivious, quite honestly, to everything he was doing as a kid, right? And you, as a kid, as a dad, now you kind of hope that your kid's a little bit oblivious to like how you're doing everything that you're doing, as long as they're getting what they need. And my dad was clearly like fulfilling all that stuff. But it wasn't until I, I got a little older where I started realizing like, wow, this is how he's doing it and i think there were some great things about how he was doing it and then there were some other things where i said i don't know if i, I can sustain something like that so i have to think about trying to get the outputs that he got but maybe not doing that cuz i couldn't go to bed every night at midnight and wake up at 4:30 and survive more than a couple weeks so i was really proud of what my dad did for all of us you know he he ran the west coast operation of a business and he was always available and always there for my sister and me but i had to figure out how can i do that same outputs but maybe a Little differently because I got to get more than four and a half hours sleep a night.
0: Same here. Yeah. It's yeah. funny you, you mentioned that because I think, I think to a certain extent, kids are oblivious to what's going on as long as they're, yeah, again, they're the, the center of the universe. They're, as yeah. long as they get what they need, things are okay. And I wonder if you, if you ever had a chance to ask him, I, I think you, you mentioned he passed away in the last couple of years. Yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry for that. Yeah. If you ever got a chance to ask him, like, how did you, how did you do this? <laughs> like,
1: how did yeah. you balance
0: everything? <laughs>
1: You know, it's a funny question because um, I never did ask my dad how he mm-hmm. did that. Um, it was just like my dad was a bit of a machine. <laughs> and so, you know, he, he did everything and the family was the most important thing to him. So, you know, it's interesting. I think some of the habits that I developed around what were kind of the problem were probably because he was such a machine and he, he was, you know, a classic type A personality. So he was driving hard at work, but never at the expense of the family. And so I developed some habits, probably from watching that, without even realizing it, around just like what I call in the book like the superhero syndrome, which is where you just do everything, and that's yeah. your solution to work-life balance, and it works kind of, I think, in the short term, but as Until you go you longer out, term, here. like yeah, you start to burn out, you can't do it anymore.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny because like when I wrote when I read your entire book and I, I read through it and, and finished it, and I, I thought to myself. It seemed like you wrote this book for yourself in a, in a way, right? Like for all yeah. the dads that are out there too, but I think you needed it. It seemed like you documented, you ne- you yeah. wanted to, to basically solve the problems that you were having with this balance issue. And did you get yeah. to the end of it and say, wow, uh, I, I fixed the issues that I'm having and this is going to help other people because I know other people are going through that? Was that in the back of your mind as well when you're writing this?
1: Yeah. So what it started as was, hey, you know, I I did a bunch of research on work-life balance when it finally became time for me to say like, what am I going to do about this problem? You know, I I, I read a whole bunch of stuff and I got kind of demoralized, to be honest with you. And yes, it was initially about solving my problem. And I got demoralized because there were people out there saying like, it's a false reality. You'll never have work-life balance. You just, it doesn't exist. Stop trying. And then there were other people that were saying stuff like, you just got to do this work-life blend thing where you just bring everything together. And I was like, there's no way I can possibly do that. I can't barely multitask at work, but add like family. It's a disaster. And so initially I started trying to solve it for myself. But as I started doing that, the perspective I kept coming from was, I'm a dad and a husband, and there's not a lot out there that really talks about this from a dad and a husband's perspective, you know, not to say that there's like a gender issue with it, but you don't hear this a lot discussed with dads and every, all of my friends that I talked with, all my, you know, male friends, we all kind of had the same issues. We just didn't talk about it that much because we're not great at doing that. So I started writing the book for myself, but then I said, you know, there's a lot of all the people I know that are dads and husbands out there. We all kind of are playing in this similar area. And where's the the opportunity for us to like think about something for us, right? And that's kind of where it came to. And like, how could I apply a methodology that might help all of us, regardless of whether you have all of the challenges I had or some of them or whatever else?
0: It's interesting you said about the dad's perspective because you definitely see that theme throughout it. Like it's written from your perspective and your stories, but I, it, I yeah. didn't, I didn't feel like it was off limits to uh, you know working mothers or anything like that. I Agreed. felt like I felt like all these yeah. principles that you had in it applied to anybody, and that's why I thought it was interesting because yeah. there's a lot of you know especially people who listen to this podcast. There's a lot of like senior leaders and business owners who listen to this, and they're they're probably struggling with this whether it's a, they're a male female, it, yeah. I think all the stuff that you had in there is relevant to just working parents in general.
1: Yeah, no, and I appreciate that. And that was kind of where I went with it. It started off being like this thing for me, and then just for dads. But as I started like diagnosing the challenges and my solutions to doing that, it obviously became applicable to anybody who's trying to be a good parent and who's also trying to do a good job at work. Right? We all face the same issues when you have those things happening in your life. Um, and of course, there's a lot of dadisms in there just because you know I'm a dad, and that's how I write. But I think you're right. I mean, it can apply to anybody. And in fact, I have a a woman that I coach. I do some executive coaching and she's reading it right now and said, yeah, you, hmm. you definitely have some dad stories in there. But like, gosh, everything that I'm reading about could certainly apply to me too. So it's nice to see that people are looking at it a little bit more broadly.
0: You posed a question early on in the book and you said, are you someone who works to live or lives to work? And you answered that for yourself. <laughs> How did you answer that?
1: So I answered that question as um, works to live, right? And and it's interesting because these are point in time questions. And that's one of the Mm -hmm. things that I talk a lot about in the book is that this is the way I am right now. But I also have worked with a lot of people who are at different points in their careers where their kids are maybe grown and they're out of the house. And at that point in their time, they're living to work. And that's cool too. And so one of the things I've found about work-life balance is this is like a continuous process and it's ever evolving. So right now at this point in my life, as much as I love my work, I'm doing it to fulfill my life, and that's what it, that's the priority for me. And that 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 decision actually translates into a whole bunch of like trade offs that I probably had never been willing to think about before because I made that decision that I'm working to live versus live, living to work.
0: I think that's such a great point, and you mentioned this a point in time, and you really started out the book and just the the overall uh, before you brought up any of the concepts later on. You documented a day in a life, and I thought you, you sort of illustrated yeah. it as a, kind of a funny but sad story that we can yeah. <laughs> really relate to. Like there's poop gate, which you got to read the book to understand yeah. what that's all about. But I, so the, for the point in time thing, do you recommend people document, you know, a day in the life so they really understand how they're spending the time and figuring out like how yeah. they're wasting time or how much time they actually have available?
1: Yeah, you know, I found the day in the life experience to be super valuable. And obviously, I I go into one in more detail than anybody ever needs to create for themselves. But I do it in the book for like explanatory purposes. But um, the day in the life is super important because the way I got to that, you know, I started driving home one day and I started thinking about like I do business transformation. That's one of my things that I do consulting on and there's a methodology to it. And I started thinking, like, why wouldn't I apply something like that to my own work-life balance problem? And the first thing that I typically do, or that we'll do with a company, is well, what's your current state? And it's important to know where you're starting. And the and one of the easiest ways, at least from a work-life balance perspective, is to do this simple day-in-the-life exercise and just kind of write down a day and what was happening and where were you stressed out and where weren't you and where were you feeling in control and when weren't you? And like the day then helps you get to this place where you can deconstruct behaviors that you didn't even realize you were doing or Ways that you were spending your time that you hadn't thought about, or at least highlighting areas where you say, Well, that was really stressful. Okay, so then the question is, Why was that period of the day stressful? And what can you do differently about it? And that, that's why the day in the life was such a valuable exercise for me. And I talk about it in the book how easy it is for anybody to do it.
0: Do you think a lot of issues that people have with work life balances because they're just sort of winging their day and, and letting things happen <laughs> to them versus like really prior, like digging deep and prioritizing yeah. what's you know what's important?
1: I think that's pretty common. And, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but a lot of people that I spoke to, and I'll raise my hand on this. I, I had this like soundbite about what work life balance was for me. And it was no deeper than a soundbite, which means I couldn't really figure out how to operationalize it, which meant by all means, I was basically reacting all day long. So I knew I wanted to do a good job at work and I knew I wanted to do a good job at home. And that's as far as I took my like vision of work life balance. And so anything else that happened was in the name of those two things, but there was it was really just reacting to what was going on in the moment, uh, and that's basically what my day in the life describes. And I suspect there's a lot of other people that have similar days in the life, you know, maybe without some poop gate issues that I talk about, but that, that <laughs> reactive kind of nature of how how it goes.
0: When you like did the day in the life and you sort of analyze how you're spending your day and realized. Uh, you know i could do things differently did you ever start like intentionally building out your calendar in a way that you know you're blocking off time for yourself or for work or like how does your calendar look and are you using any sort of calendaring system to to prioritize yeah. and to plan your day
1: yeah well i wasn't <laughs> i mean i did a great job of it at work one of the things that i found is i had yet to and maybe some people were much further along than me I was great at calendaring my work stuff because yeah. that's what I've been doing for a long time. Um, the home stuff, I didn't calendar the same way. And mm-hmm. that's what created all sorts of really weird integration or interaction points between the two. One of the things that I talk about in the book that, that worked for me and that I've talked with a lot of other kind of working moms and dads about is this notion of strict compartmentalization yeah. and boundary setting. And from that perspective, what that then translates into is actually blocking time on the calendar. I create an integrated calendar now. That's how I do it. It's work and life, even though I've talked in the book about not wanting to do work-life blend. From a calendaring perspective, the way for me not to do work-life blend is to create an integrated calendar where I literally see big blocks of days that are allocated 100% for work or 100% mm-hmm. for not work and that's how I'm able to start to kind of plan better and i i wasn't very good at doing that and i suspect a lot of people don't kind of they have their work and life stuff separated and to bring it together into one big calendar was super helpful for me to be able to actually compartmentalize better
0: i think that's a good point because there's a book i read years ago and i want to say it was the one thing i think that was the title of it where they really talked about how like multitasking is total? You know, it doesn't exist because you can't put a hundred percent of your it's attention. It's a facade. Yeah, yeah, totally right. So yeah. the the point, yeah. like, I think you're trying to make about compartmentalization. You just like, if you're gonna block out two hours for work, you're gonna be like totally focused on that two hours of work, right? Nothing else. And then if you have two hours for that's family, right. it's complete family time, and you shouldn't have your phone out and you shouldn't be distracted by other things.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what, what I think a lot of us do, and it's, you know, I don't blame any of us for this, especially with technology being as ubiquitous as it is. It's so easy to be gotten a hold of at any point in time wow. that uh, like when I think about my dad, if I take it back to my dad's era, there were natural boundaries that existed between work and life that were just there because the technology wasn't there to disrupt it. Um, and technology is awesome. Believe me, I love all the technology that we have. But many ways, like I think about their problems, they were probably stressed out about not being able to connect enough. Absolutely. Our challenge is not being able to disconnect, right? And so we have to literally like force feed the boundaries that used to be there. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But that's one of the things I found for myself. It yeah. was huge, like huge epiphany to say, I got to recreate boundaries that used to be there for my dad and mom <laughs> when they were in that, that phase of their life.
0: You had this like subtle point in the book... I, I laugh because this this is so true at least for me and I'm sure other people can relate to this with technology. So you you said that your one of your business partners I don't know if this is current or back in the day but uh, would urgently <laughs> <Yeah>. urgently <laughs> their, it's their emergency. He would text you yep. about an urgent email that he'd sent, and, <laughs> and you joked that it was like twice the urgency because he's not only texting you but he it's in reference to an email that was urgent about the same thing. And that yeah. was twice the yep. urgency, but half the fun. How do we ev- yeah. <laughs> how do we avoid stuff like that and filter out like somebody else's an emergency? Because I think that's sort of a manufactured yeah. urgency.
1: Yep. No, you hit on right on the head. And one of the things I talk about in the book that's a huge problem, at least I think for a lot of us with work life balance, is what what I call manufactured or artificial urgency. And in the business world, any of us who work there, I mean, we know like urgency is there, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's there all the time. But some of the times, the things that were responsible, and I had to take a hard look at my stuff, I, if I really were to ask the question of, you know, is my business going to get degraded if this isn't as urgent as I have decided to make it, many times the answer was no, right? And when I, when I get the, you know, the, the urgent text about the urgent email, it's the same question. If, if I don't respond to this right now with the same level of urgency that is being given to me, what's the consequence? And I never used to ask myself that question. I think I just defaulted to response because many of us do, right? That's just the pace that business goes at these days. And so I started asking like that question and almost created something that I called urgency filters. Like, what are the key questions I need to ask at work to decide if this truly is urgent or if it's artificial? And what happens to a lot of us is that urgency then like cascades its way down into our lives outside of work. It just becomes a habit. So I would urgently do things at home that had no business being urgent, but it was like a habitual thing. So I had to figure out how to like create that filter between what I would like to be urgent versus what really was urgent. And what was great about that was it eliminated so many things that I was trying to do each day because they just weren't as urgent as I wanted them to be. And it also reduced my stress because I was manufacturing my own stress.
0: Filtering out urgent things on, on the surface sounds like a really easy i not easy but like a, a an idea that would probably keep your sanity and, but the problem i think there yeah. is there's probably risks with it right like pissing off people there or are. like if you manage people like you're not getting back to them and they're truly drowning or yeah. like there are real emergencies so i i worry that like filtering too many things out would would cause a lot of like people problems
1: it can. I mean, it can. I mean, I and, you know, one of the th- one of the tests that I put it through was, look, I run a business consulting practice. And what I was worried that would I if I were to to reduce urgency on too many things, would I start making my clients upset? Right. Because they're the ones that pay my bills. Um, and I have people that I manage who are on some of these projects. And would I be doing things that would be making them feel uncomfortable about the work? The really interesting thing was, and you do to your point, you do have to apply it carefully. Um, If I was really careful about how I answered those questions, I have yet to have a client who has actually said anything about my change in urgency. And what I found was it was because my clock was so much faster from an urgency set than theirs was. Even the most urgent client that I have that I was literally creating urgency far beyond what their urgency was. So the key is to kind of not cross that line backwards around where their urgency filter is. If you do that, then you cause all the problems you're talking about. But I think a lot of us set our urgency clocks so fast forward that we're well beyond what other expectations are. You just have to understand where other people's expectations are and make sure you don't rewind it further than that.
0: So I, th- I feel like with a lot of urgency based things the mobile phone that we use is the cause of a lot of that like yeah. it's, it's the ding of the email it's text it messages is. like is it, did you figure out any sort of solution around uh, the notifications and anything like your mobile phone would I mean it's all urgency yeah. it's like in the moment on demand like people can connect with you at any time what are you doing to help yeah. filter out the urgent stuff?
1: Well, I do a couple of things and none of these are, are legendary groundbreaking, Mm -hmm. but on the emails, I actually check emails at periodic points of the day. Um, and that took a a while because what I used to do, and I even describe it in the book, anytime I had a down second, I'm checking my email on my phone or I'm checking my text on my phone. And I found that to be totally counterproductive, right? Um, and I even had a guy, this is, this is actually kind of a funny story that I don't even talk about in the book. (laughs) I got an email from a client and then I responded a few hours later and my email back to him, this just tells you about where my urgency clock was set. My email back to him said, Hey, sorry for taking so long to get back to you. It was like two hours. And I said, I'm so sorry. It took so long to get back to you. And he, his response to me was you, I get a good sense for how you're wired right now, just by the fact that you had to apologize for two hours. Uh, And that was like a red letter thing to me where I was like, Oh my God. Yeah, why am I thinking that's such a long time? Like I've reduced the time frame to a point of that doesn't even make any sense. He would have been fine if I had responded at the end of the day. It wasn't that big a deal, especially given the content that his email was about, right? So I start to check my email at certain points of day versus anytime I get white space. And on my texts, um, sometimes I turn the uh the notifications off and I and I check those proactively versus letting the ding dictate when I check. Now I, I have to be careful, I have a family. And so if my wife needs something, or if there's something going on at home, so we have a system by which I'm always checking just to make sure it's not personal on the family side. But if there's anything coming in, like my, my, my colleagues text about the email, I just kind of let that go. (laughs) And he knows it. I've talked to him (laughs) about it. So it's an interesting kind of way to figure it out.
0: When you're at home, do you ever put the mobile phone like, you know, 20 feet away or whatever the kind of the rule is like, it's, it's far enough away that you aren't gonna go after it and so that way you can dedicate your time to your family in the moment. like is there anything that you're doing from that perspective like turning it off or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I turn it oh, off. Good. I turn it off. So from a compartmentalization perspective, and I got real strict about this, but again within these, you know, boundaries of saying, look, I don't want to kill my business, at a certain point in time, once dinner time hits, I turn the phone off. And the reason that I do that is, you know, I found that the struggle that I was having is I was always, when I I wasn't doing that and I had a lot of things to do, I was constantly thinking about the thing I had to do next while I was doing the thing that I was doing. And part of the problem with that was the cell phone because I could always access that stuff. Okay, I'm playing with a kid. Let me just quickly look on this and I can send this email to this guy while I'm playing with the kid. Well, why would I want to do that? Then I'm not like enjoying my work or playing with my kid. So I just turn the phone off. I actually compartmentalize fully and shut it off um, for the night. And then I pick it up early in the morning.
0: You mentioned earlier a couple of times, and you definitely talk about this in the book, but the work-life blend. A lot of people are using that term loosely right now. Uh, what's the difference between yeah. that and work-life balance? And and which one's the best from your perspective?
1: In terms of the difference first, and then then we can talk about the best. And I think that's a personal preference, quite honestly. The difference is I think with work-life blend, what a lot of people are talking about these days is, look, you'll never get the separation that you think you want. So since that's mm, not possible, yeah. what you should do is just accept the fact that there is no work-life balance. It's all life and work is part of life and life is part of work. And so just do it all. And conceptually, I get it. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't, it makes sense conceptually. But when you try to operationalize that, that's when people like me start like, Having their brains start to shut down, <laughs> like I just could not do it, um, and so and then people try to multitask, yeah. and we talked about kind of the concept of how multitasking really doesn't work at all, and it actually makes you less effective and less productive. All the science and research has has proven that, and so that's what work life blend starts to create. And so, ironically enough, what I found about myself when I did my day in the life is I was living work life blend unintentionally, right, reactively. I didn't even realize I was doing it, and I said, I can't do this anymore. So. For me, it came down to work-life balance really is about prioritization. It's about making choices. It's about accepting the implications of those choices and then kind of compartmentalizing it. And that's the difference. Now, is it better than work-life blend? There's a lot of people you might talk to who would say work-life blend works just great for them. And that's cool. Then they should do it. (laughs) But there's a lot of people like me who can't, you know, can't process that, and we want the separation and the compartmentalization, and that's where you kind of achieve work-life balance. And I do think it's possible, even though a lot of people say it is. I think it's
0: really interesting because you're you're a business owner, you're running a consulting practice. I would think the blend. A work-life blend would be a default for somebody like yourself. Versus, you know, if you're an employee at yeah. some organization, compartmentalizing and doing the work-life balance seems to be a lot easier. How did you get away from that blend? That blend yeah. approach when you, you know, you're you're the guy. You're running a business.
1: That's exactly right, and that was partly of, part of my fear. Right, my fear. Like when you run your own thing. I mean, it's conceivable that you work all the time and you kind of have to, right? I'm constantly doing business development. Monday through Friday doesn't really mean that. It doesn't mean the same thing to me or a business owner as it does to someone who works in more of a traditional role. Saturday and Sunday are just as good of days to be doing work (laughs) as Monday through Friday. I know that works for a lot of people. But so for me, what I started to try to do was I just started to compartmentalize where are the days that I want to be 100% dedicated to my family or where are the half days that I want to be 100% dedicated to my family? And I actually blocked those out first. So I almost did it in reverse. And this was kind of a risk. I said, well, if I do too much there, am I going to have enough time to run my business? Right. I can't run this business on 20 hours a week. Um, but I, but I took kind of the bold step of saying, look, if I want to see what happens if I, if I compartmentalize family time first. And the reason I did that was because it's so easy to block your work time first and then try to squeeze in the family time. And then there's never enough. So I said, look, if family is important to me and I I can't be hypocritical about this, let's block that first. And then I started blocking the time for work. And then it's just kind of like a give and take. Um, And quite honestly, this is where some of my dad's influence, you know, rubbed off. I will get up very, very early in the morning to get several hours worth of work done before anybody wakes up. And then I feel great because then I can block that time for family without guilt because I got this work done. I got up early. I was I was dedicated. I was uninterrupted and it got done before the day hit
0: yeah it's it's funny hearing you talk about the compartmentalization you, it seems to me you'd be able to live in the moment a little bit better and be completely present cuz i know yeah. you suggest doing that and going back to your earlier story about poop gate you you talked about like when you're at, i think it was swimming practice for your son and yeah. you snuck away yeah. to the bathroom to check email or something like that. And that's when it happened. He pooped in the pool. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's yeah. like, if you, if you, exactly. just, like, if you yeah. just shut it off, you said, Okay, this is swimming practice, I am 100% dedicated. You would have been there in the moment. And probably could have pulled him out of the pool <laughs> in advance, right?
1: Yeah, I would have seen what was going on because I know this, the warning signs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of it, what was happening but it's, there.
0: it's such a good story yeah. to illustrate how we kind of sleepwalk through our lives and are never fully present in one thing or another. And we probably just need to to dedicate ourselves, right?
1: That's exactly right. And I talk about this concept of chasing time in the book. It's the exact same concept. Like I'm here physically, but my mind is somewhere else. And we, why do that? Because then you're not enjoying work or life. You're always thinking about the next thing versus enjoying the moment of what you're doing. And I want to enjoy my work and i definitely want to enjoy my family but if i'm trying to bounce back and forth and not compartmentalizing or trying to do too many things it's really hard to be in the moment because you're always thinking about god i got all this other stuff i still
0: have to do how does sleep play a role in all this because i think a lot of people think well like, you know especially if you're a family man or, or or you know mother of a bunch of kids and you're working you, you feel like to have either time for yourself or to to catch up on work, you got to do it at night when everybody else is sleeping. I mean, that's the way I think about it, but that cuts yeah. into my sleep, and I feel yeah. like to really be productive and present for the next day, I need to be fresh and have seven, eight hours of sleep. What did you? What did you come to the conclusion yeah. on regarding sleep?
1: Well, two things. One, there are some very lucky people, and my dad was probably one of them who don't need a lot of sleep. It's crazy. Uh, I'm no, not one me of them either. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know how the heck he did that. I need seven or eight hours of sleep. I mean, the biggest joke in our family is that I need as much sleep as the kids do, and everybody loves to me, and that's great. Um, but yeah, I could use a nap every day. I mean, I kind of need that stuff just to function. And what I found was I was very much doing the okay. Finally, the kids are down. Our teenager is in his room, and he there's no problems there. And now I can finish some work, and it's nine o'clock, and I'll work for three hours, and great. And what I found was the next morning I was just destroyed because the clock still starts early for when you got kids in the house, right? So you're not getting the amount of sleep that you need. And what I really started to realize was I wasn't getting the same quality of sleep because I was a little bit amped up from the work and I was not as efficient doing the work because I was starting to try to finish things at nine o'clock at night thinking that was my only option, which is why I flipped it and said, you know what? I'm going to bed early every night. I don't care. If I got work to catch up on, I'm doing it at, I mean, sadly. I'm doing it at 4.30 or 5 in the morning. But what I found was I was so much faster at it at that next morning versus trying to cram it into the night before. And my next day started off in such a better place.
0: The bulk of your book, you really talk about the 8 traps, which we actually we covered a lot of that in this discussion so far. But in the end, did you really figure out a solution for each of those traps that you found yourself falling into?
1: I did. Yeah. I mean, I found what I tried to put in were very simple, pragmatic, like doable solutions. And for the most part, I stick with them. I still fall off Mm -hmm. the wagon, but um, it's interesting. Behavior change is an interesting thing. And I talk a lot about in the book of, you know, yeah, I came up with some good solutions. And then a couple months later, I found myself not doing them (laughs) because I had 15 years of habit doing it the other way that was taking over. And so you constantly have to keep reminding yourself um, what to do. And one of the things I was notoriously bad about, I describe it, I think I mentioned it earlier as the superhero syndrome, I just had really long lists of things on work and life to do every day, and I was going to get them all done. And most of the time I did at my own expense, I kind of implemented a rule was kind of arbitrary, but it said, look, just do three mission critical things for work and three mission critical things for home. And that made me feel a lot less quantitatively important because I was reducing my list by a lot. But what I found over time, and it took months, I found over time that now, when my lists get too long, I literally automatically start shutting them down. Whereas before, I just tried to do it all, and so it just takes a while before the behavior change like kicks in.
0: You don't really, you don't talk about this in the book, but I just want to ask you a personal question on this. It seems to me on the 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 home life part of the the balance, if you're if you're married, the your spouse can probably help you a lot if, if you define. You know, time together, what you're doing as a family, appointments, and things like that. How is your How has your spouse helped you with balancing personal time?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. My wife and I like to think of ourselves as you know very modern in the the now people, very progressive thinking. But ironically enough, we have very traditional roles. I work; Mm -hmm. I am the one who um, is the sole financial provider, and my wife stays home. And the reason she does that is we obviously have we have two little kids but we're also legal guardians for her younger brother and sister who are teenagers and young adults. So we have this really interesting mix and we made a decision to say, "Hey, look, that's a lot of dependents at home and we want to make sure they're getting the attention they need so my wife stays home." So that's hugely helpful. Um, and she does she runs the house, right, in a very traditional sense. I think the non-traditional way that she's helped me is she helps me figure out where can I plug in appropriately to both help her and be present as much as I want to be, which is a lot for her and for the kids um, versus playing the traditional role of I'm just out making sure I'm bringing in the money that we need. And so that's been really helpful. And we talk about it a a lot. And there are times where she says, I know you want to be here right now, but please don't be here right now. (laughs) And that's like, oh, okay, great. I guess I get it. (laughs) I'm not helping as much as I think I am. So, I mean, we have a lot of those conversations too.
0: So in the concluding, you know, after the book, has been written, and you've sort of found yourself a little bit. Is this sustainable for you? Like, do you think you'll be fine, or is it going to be taking a lot of work to to really keep this balance in check?
1: I think it constantly takes work, but it's also Good. sustainable. So I think the answer to your question is like yes mm-hmm. and right. So I don't find that it just suddenly now everything's like perfect and it's super easy. Um, you know, we still are raising kids, and I still have a job to do, and we're still married. Um, So that always requires constant attention. But what I think has helped me significantly keep the train on the tracks is I have a framework from which I operate now. And that was what I was like looking for. And I couldn't find one out there. And so this business framework around the traps and having my vision and then having the behaviors aligned with the vision, that kind of stuff is what keeps me going. And I can always refer back to it and say, oops, I'm violating this rule that I put in place to solve this trap. And that's why I'm, this is why I'm struggling right now. And then I go back to it. So that's been super helpful.
0: James, I really enjoyed the discussion. Your book is Out of the Blur, A Delirious Dad's Search for the Holy Grail of Work-Life Balance. Where can people find the book? It just came out, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it just literally just came out. They can find it right now on two places. You can go to my website which is um so j a m e s s u d a k o w.com and it's available on Amazon and What are you as doing well.
0: from a from a consulting practice standpoint? What uh, you know, what's what kind of clients are you working with and what kind of work are you doing for those people?
1: Yeah, you know, the we've got a variety of stuff going on. We've got some uh, systems transformations that we're helping lead. We've got some talent development stuff that we're doing for some companies around building talent. We've got some culture transformation work that we're doing, which I think is really fascinating. So we've got a lot of variety of things. And I do a lot of coaching for leaders as well, uh, mostly on the work stuff. But sometimes we actually get into the work-life balance <laughs> conversation good. too.
0: Well, James, thanks for coming back on the podcast, man. You're uh, you're a good friend of the podcast. So I think this is your third time on and we always uh, will, would love having yeah. you back.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business Podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.